this week we have something special coming at you guys from Denny's Pizza. If you go on the app and use the code PODCAST, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, and get a large gourmet pizza, they're going to knock off money. And you're going to get a gourmet pizza for the same price as their large original. Nine bucks only, no limit. That means you can get my favorite, the Backyard Barbecue, or the Kickin' Chicken, or they have an Alfredo pizza, uh, they have the Massive Meat pizza, the Gourmet Supreme pizza, all of those, only 9 bucks tonight for your dinner, or lunch, or whatever it is you gotta get. This is a super awesome opportunity for our listeners only, and we really need you guys to go out and support Tenny's Pizza, because they are... More supportive than you guys could ever realize. Uh, Kevin over there, Levi over there, and all the guys over at Tenny's Pizza, we really appreciate everything you guys are doing for us, helping us make the Finding Strength message better, stronger, and reaching more people. We appreciate it. We are extremely passionate about helping out the companies that help us because we want to support good causes. There are so many companies out there that are putting out money and um, helping different foundations. Tenny's Pizza is one of the many, and they support Finding Strength. They support the Brighton Day Foundation. We just appreciate everything they do for us. So if you are in the Utah County or Southern Salt Lake County area near Riverton or uh, Saratoga Springs or American Fork, please use the pod- code podcast in the app for Tenny's Pizza, and get yourself a large gourmet pizza for only nine bucks. Enjoy. In addition, ladies and gentlemen, listen up. We have a freaking awesome offer for you guys. If you go on to iTunes or the podcast app and leave a review, five-star review for us, you screenshot that and you send it to findingstrengthpodcast at gmail.com. You do that. We will enter you into a random drawing in which you can receive a $25 gift card to Fandango. We're going to pick two winners so you have a good chance of winning. So go on there, leave your five-star review, screenshot it, send it to us. If you've already sent a review, you can update it, and that will count too because we don't want to leave you guys out. Big deal. $25, Fandango, get her done now. Podcast at gmail.com and... You'll get hooked up. 25 bucks to Fandango. Go do it now. Our guest this week is Alicia Nuttle. If you guys don't know who Alicia Nuttle is, you're gonna soon. She is freaking rad. She actually won Cupcake Wars. You're gonna learn all about it. I'm excited for you guys to meet Alicia. And if you are a uh, Utah local, you better listen close because her uh, cupcake store, Alicia's cravings cupcakes is or sorry cravings alicia's cupcakes is in pleasant grove and if you haven't had her cupcakes they are amazing i had some on saturday freaking incredible best cupcakes i've ever had in my life anyways sorry i'll stop talking about cupcakes now i'm excited for you guys to meet alicia without further ado here she is alicia nuttle on episode 14 of finding strength
Welcome back to the Finding Strength podcast. We're back. I'm Bethany Tenney, and I got Matt Quack That's me. here. Matt Quack. And I got Alicia Nuttle. And her husband, Dave Nuttle, who is going to be the silent person. He's he just, not going to be silent. We're going to get him to talk at some point. But he may, he's probably just going to sit here and just like judge us. and like <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't have to get vulnerable. Or he's going to like be like, stop, don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's the vulnerability police. <laughs> no. Better watch out. Whatever. He'll join in. Give him a minute. Let, okay. him, let him warm up to I'm this excited. craziness. I'm excited. So, are you messing with something? So, we've got Alicia. And Alicia is a good friend. And... She, a little background, which we're going to have her tell way more, but Alicia's Cupcakes in Pleasant Grove, right? I always get the cities mixed up, like Pleasant Grove, American Fork, Linden. It's like this mesh of cities. Um, and she has the best cupcakes you've ever had. True She's story. been on Cupcake Wars more than once. You were a winner once, right? Loser twice. once. <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't matter. Why do I gotta bring up the loser? The winner's all that matters. Yes, we won once. She, yeah, super talented, and she's gonna tell us a little bit about herself. Yeah, I. So I, I mean, I've met Alicia. We, I, we met before mm-hmm. once or twice, or whatever. But I kind of did like a bunch of like Facebook stalking and research today. <laughs> <laughs> but I, what I think the coolest thing about your story is that like. You and your sister work together. Your twin sister have this like duo cravings deal or whatever. That's super cool. So yours is the cupcake side, and then she has like a bistro that does yeah. gourmet well, grilled cheeses. So we're twin sister companies, but literally separate companies. <laughs> yeah, and you're close, but you're not like in the same building. Mm-mm. You're two separate. Have you ever been there? I bet so I didn't know that your sister was craving so I looked it up today. I've been to Cravings Bistro or whatever and had grilled cheese there. It's freaking delicious. Uh, you should try like the so cheese fries. And I've had your cupcakes. I didn't know that you guys were connected. Now it yeah. all makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, we tried working together and that was mm, <laughs> nope. <laughs> You're so much alike. <laughs> we call which I'm sure she'll love this. We call Angie the grumpy one and Alicia the the what's the word? Happy, bubbly, but we freaking love Angie too. <laughs> like, she won't even listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> she's awesome, but she is like, she has these one-liners that crack me up. I'm like, did she just say that? <laughs> it's really funny. So tell us just a little bit about you. Tell us, I just want to know where you came from, grew up, like, just start into that story and we'll start digging. Well, so I was born in Seoul, Korea. My Angie is my twin, and we were born in Seoul, Korea. We were adopted when we were three and a half, and we've lived in we lived in Nephi, Utah, for almost sixteen years. Graduated from there, and then um, I loved high school. That was great. It was hard being the only Asian. Well, I think there was three of us. <laughs> you, your sister, and one more. <laughs> And then I moved up here and was attempted to go to college, but I didn't. And <laughs> I don't know why I said that part even. <laughs> and then we I, all attempted. Alicia, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> well, attempted was I walked in and then walked out. So <laughs> that's awesome. But then I got a job and met Dave and we got married and worked at Chili's for 10 years and thought I was going to be this 
jump on the corporate ladder with, you know, chilies. And then I realized that was a terrible babysitting job. (laughs) (laughs) Then I got into cupcakes and I always loved to bake for people. And so um, cupcakes were and my sister actually told me to do cupcakes and she was just like, oh, the cupcakes are a big thing. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome because you can create these little desserts with these cupcakes and, you know, kind of just went from there. Dave didn't want to shop. He's not an entrepreneur and he wasn't an entrepreneur. He is now. (laughs) He didn't want to do it. And so then Cupcake Wars came, long story short, we went, I said, if we win, you have to promise me we'll get a cupcake shop. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so you so you got on Cupcake Wars before you ever even had a shop. Yeah, no, we didn't. Yeah. That's we, awesome. Yeah, so... We, I didn't even know that happened. I thought people had... I, I mean, I don't really... I've watched Cupcake Wars and baking shows. And, yeah. But I never know, like, how people get on them, you know? And I would say probably, I feel like at least half are from their house, from home. Oh, cool. Yeah, so, um, but I wanted to shop. I always wanted to shop, and he was just like, are you crazy? We have so much debt, and <laughs> And then the dream came true, and now it's just, you know, doing that. So what started your love of baking? Like, were you young? Is something that, like, as a stress relief or just you liked sugar or you know all that (laughs) so I actually took a home ec class in high school and I fell in love with the baking there and then so I actually um would bake like in the mornings for like at five in the morning for um I did cheer and so I'd bake for the cheerleaders and um then when I worked at Chili's we'd you know, I would actually make, I actually wanted to own a restaurant and then, um, but so I'd make dinners and food for all my employees, all the employees. And then I started doing desserts. And so I started doing cakes and, you know, all these other things. And then that's kind of where it went from there. So just kind of doing it for friends and family. And then it kind of just exploded. Everyone's like, oh, you're, oh Kevin would love if I like to bake. I'd love it. I hate cooking. In every way. I would love it, too. You should get into that. <laughs> That's why I just go to Alicia's shop and pick them up. <laughs> That's true. Okay, so here's a question for you. I, growing up, my dad owned Baskin Robbins, and I was heavier because we had ice cream all the time. Has that ever been an issue, owning, doing cupcakes and baking and having to worry about your weight? Well, honestly, it actually hasn't because I think it's because I'm so busy. It actually is weird because I've always had, I've struggled with my weight and always like, you know, Chili's was a different story because when I was working, I was eating fries. I actually gained a lot of weight when I worked at Chili's, but I think being a business owner, and I don't know if you're the same way, it's you're so busy, you don't eat. Mm-hmm. And if I do eat, I eat a Nutella cheesecake cupcake and that's it all day long, you know? And so I'm running back and forth. So I actually have never, my, I'm probably, everyone's like, oh, how do you say so tiny? And I'm like, it's because I'm running around all the time, like literally running around all the time. Where when I wasn't an entrepreneur, I would work, then we'd eat at two in the morning and, you know, and it was just like, 
kind of totally different lifestyle. So, and then I kind of get tired of sugar. Well, I don't get tired of sugar. I get tired of just, you know, when you make it all the time, I don't oh, know. Oh, people ask Same me all the thing. time with pizza. They're pizza, like, yeah. how do you own a pizza place and aren't so overweight? And I'm like, I don't have time to eat. I know. <laughs> when I'm at work, it, it's same. It's go, 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 go. And you, I mean, you're sweating. You're burning some serious calories. So yeah, if I eat, it's like a quick, small little something. And then it's, we got to get back to work again. We got mm-hmm. stuff to do. So I totally get that. Yeah. So you were adopted three and a half mm-hmm. from Seoul, Korea, you said? Mm-hmm. That's, that's cool. So, so it was you and your sister, three and a half years old. How did that all come about? Like your parents go and get you, you come over here, like... So my parents wanted to adopt, and I'm not sure exactly the whole story, but they wanted to adopt, and then they called them and said, oh, we have twins for you. And they're like, oh, okay. And like literally, like I think it was like the next day, they drove to Seattle to pick us up. And we were three and a half, and we I don't really remember much, and plus I have a terrible memory. But I just, you know, we were adopted. We were adopted together. I didn't really know why I was adopted. I actually had a lot of issues from being adopted because I always thought it was because my mom or dad didn't love us. And so they gave us away. So I always for my whole entire life thought that until I was older. And then I found out like, I think my mom had an affair and (laughs) she didn't want to raise us by herself. So she gave us up. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, I wish I would have known that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So how do you and your twin sister, Angie, fit into your family? Like, do you have other siblings that weren't adopted? So my mom and dad had two, and my oldest sister is seven years older than me. And then my mom had a hard time having more kids. And then six years later, they had my older sister, Jenny. And then they adopted us two. And then 13 years later, they adopted my little sister, which is black. And they adopted her from Philadelphia. So three of us. So it's like my dad's like six foot five, big white guy. My mom's like five, four, white woman. My two sisters are like, what, five, 11, white girls. And then there's us and my black sister. (laughs) So I always tease when my mom's around. I'm like, my mom was a slut. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love it. We like it's fine. We all came fine. from different dads. Not yeah. a deal. That's so. What was it like growing up in a household that was? I mean, that's like such a mix of human beings and cultures. And I, what was that like? That's so cool. Well, you know, and it's always hard to like. I always thought it was our family, but you know, now I look at my husband's family and stuff. But. We didn't get along like uh, my sisters and I. Well, and my one sister was seven years older than me. But then I also think I was 13 years older than my little sister. and We were like best friends. So that really doesn't. It's, I always say it's more personalities than it is age. For sure. And so I would say I wasn't super close with my olders, my older sisters as much. My twin sister and I were really, you know, always really close. We hated each other, but we were always the best of friends too. And then my little sister, we were always really close with, but we actually moved out when we were like 16, 17. And so we just always butted heads with my, you know, family and stuff. And just, it was just, and it was just really hard to be 
like the only Asian. <laughs> I won't yeah. lie, it was. Oh, like yeah. my little sister, it's so funny because she's like, you know, totally, I don't know, black pride and, you know, which I love, but we talk about it and I'm like, did you ever get made fun of? And, you know, she's like, no. And I was like, you never got made fun of. And she was like, no. And it's crazy because she is more like, you know, Black Lives Matter. And I didn't want anything to do with my, like being my nationality. Like I wasn't attracted to Asian guys. I wasn't attracted. I didn't want, like I would get embarrassed. Like if I was around any like Asian people, like if there was an Asian movie on, I would like get really, and my twin sister would too. We'd get really self-conscious, you know? And, like, I remember this time we were at girls' camp, and we did this, oh, it was this song, and they do it. Do you, uh, Did you go to girls' camp? Yeah. So it's like that no, boom, chicka, boom. Oh, you didn't go to girls' oh. camp? Yes, I remember those. Boom, chicka, boom. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And then they Weird do it like. Crap. An, yeah. So, like, our award <laughs> would, oh, well, our steak would do it like the Asian style, you know? Oh, no. So no one thought anything but my twin sister and I. Every year, we dreaded that. We loved Girls Camp, except Aww. for that part. And no one even thought anything of it, you know? And it's because no one thinks anything when it's not affecting you. Yeah. And I mean, I know that they weren't doing it, but it was so like, oh my gosh, we just hated it. We hated that. That was the only part we hated about the Girls Camp. We just, and we never wanted that part to come up. We would dread it, you know? And every night they would sing it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, Alicia, I totally know what you're talking about. And I think a lot of people listening to this will know what that little song is mm-hmm. from, the, you know, their girls. Because even if you're not from like an LDS girls camp, I'm sure a lot of other camps, summer camps with girls do that stuff. Mm-hmm. So it totally makes sense. So my question is, and maybe you don't know the answer to this question, why didn't you like, why weren't you proud of being Asian and love that? You know, what was it that made you not want to accept it? Well, I mean, I do think, you know, and I don't think it was my parents' fault or anything, but I do think we probably, they should have probably been a little bit more open. I mean, there's so many different things, you know, you hear people saying have an open adoption and you hear great stories about it. And then you hear other open adoptions and you hear, you know, terrible things about it. But I think if they would have maybe been more open about it with us, I don't know. Um, being, I mean, I think being the only Asians getting, you know, made fun of getting called names. I mean, we just hated it. And because of that, I mean, how can you, you know, and I mean, I feel like people didn't like us because of that, because we were different, you know, like you wanted to fit in, in your family, yes. in your schools, in your neighbor, like that whole, you just want to fit in. Yes. Yes. And we didn't fit in. And so, I mean, and it was, it was like, it, it was obvious we didn't fit in, you know, it wasn't, and I don't th- no one tried to be rude. It was just kind of ignorance, you know? Yeah. So that's brutal. I grew up um, in California and my high school was like mostly Asian people. (laughs) And it was, it's so different than Utah where my kids are here. Oh dude, I, it it is just this sea of like white guys and white girls. I lived in Burbank, California until we moved here when I was 12. And I, my whole school, I was one of the few that was just white 
And so I remember coming here and thinking, oh my gosh, this is, it was so weird. But for me, it was a different kind of weird. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm just like everybody else where I was not used to that. Mm-hmm. And so I can't even imagine, mm-hmm. yeah, being, because even when I lived in California, it wasn't like, I'm the only white person and everyone else is the same nationality. Mm-hmm. Everybody was different. So what did you do to like deal with that? It's probably hard to like navigate as a kid. How did you cope with that? How did you deal with it? Oh man. Well, we were we kind of we're kind of sh- we kind of closed off. I wrote in a journal. Like I remember like my twin sister and I and it's just so sad to even think about it, but I remember we would do ex- eye exercises and we would like try to make them like so every night we would like put our you know um put our eyes you know towards each other to make it so we weren't slanted eyes you know I just remember like praying at night wishing I wasn't Asian and you know and I just it's just you know now I like you know as I mean gosh I'm 36 I bet it wasn't until I was almost 30 till I actually was like oh my gosh I love being Asian I love that I'm different I love that but I mean it took me so long to embrace that you know and it just I think you know and I think you know growing up we didn't talk about things I think if we were able to talk about things, it might have been better. I don't know. Who knows? You know, because my sister's, my little sister is the same way. She never talked about it and she totally embraces who she is, you know? So I don't know. It's re it's really weird how it works out because same family. I mean, I know that I always tell her, I'm like, you know, that you, you, those parents that you have are not the same parents, you know, grow the youngest always gets treated differently. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. I'm like, but those parents aren't the same parents I grew up with, you know? And so maybe that too, you know, she, they learned. I know those first kids, especially I always say they're the Guinea pigs. It's like, I'm sorry. I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, I'm on number, you know, six and I still don't know what I'm doing. So I get it. I don't know what I'm doing with any of my kids. (laughs) But I agree with that. The talking thing. I think we all grew up in a similar situation as far as that went. It was a generational thing. Mm-hmm. Our parents did not talk about mm-hmm. anything that was uncomfortable or things that were really important. That, And it's not their fault because their parents didn't talk about mm-hmm. it. And it wasn't something that anyone knew how to do. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's why our generation, especially, I feel like everyone's trying to change that because it's not good. It's not healthy. Hence the Finding Strength podcast, right? Like that's (laughs) literally exactly what we're trying to do is talk about stuff people don't want to talk about because it's these are these super crazy important conversations that we as human beings just don't, we don't like to have them for a multitude of reasons, but mostly just because that's the way it's always been. You Mm -hmm. don't go into a public setting and talk about what it was like as a little kid growing up, feeling completely isolated and alone because of how you look. Because of your nationality. Well, and never talking about, you know, where you came from and mm-hmm. who you are. That, I don't know. It could be a cool thing. And I think, I hope people listening to this now who maybe have adopted from other countries can help them embrace it. Because mm-hmm. it's important. You need to somehow, and I think it's awesome you have now, but embrace who you are. Because mm-hmm. sure. otherwise, I mean, what other, and you, you talk about <clears throat> the, the slanted eyes things and how that was hard. What other, were there other physical things that were like, I don't 
it's like you talk about your dad was really tall and you're really short. Mm-hmm. It's like, were there other physical things that you're like, I don't fit or this, I'm not. It sounds like you weren't comfortable in your own body. Mm-hmm. Well, and I feel like, you know, being Asian, the typical Asian, I mean, I feel like stereotype is Asian and they're pretty petite. And I, you know, now I look back and I'm like, we were petite, like, you know, but we weren't as petite as a lot of Asians, you know? And so I feel like, um, you know, we struggled both my, and I, it's one being adopted two being Asian three being a twin and you're compared 24 seven, you know? And so it was hard because both my twin and, and I struggled with this. And so probably around age 12, you know, not thinking we were enough, thinking we were hideous and ugly and everything. And now we growing up thinking we were fat. Then both of us, I don't even remember what happened. We just, I found out my sister had an eating disorder and it was like, really? Like, I was like, what? That's crazy. How do you do it? And I wanted to be part of it. And we were like each other's, like, what is it? You know, we would help each other be better at our eating disorders, which is so sad. Like I think about it, you know, I remember like, cause we're both really bulimic and, uh, and anorexic too, but mostly bulimic. But I remember like standing by the door, watching, like kind of guarding the door. So in case my mom or, you know, dad came down, I would knock on the door and say, okay, someone's coming, you know, and then, you know, they found out one time and that didn't go well because they I mean, found out that you were like purging mm-hmm. in the bathroom and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was not a good thing. Like, you know, now I think, you know, and I, and like we said, it's the, the way we grew up. But like, if I found out my daughter had that, I would probably start crying and be like, okay, what can we do to help you? Mm-hmm. But it was stop it now. Yeah. How brutal. Cause like. You're just trying to live up to these expectations that you feel like are being set for you. Mm. And then the way you find to live up to those expectations, that isn't good enough either. Like, mm-hmm. how do you navigate that? Because you said you started, so started kind of like the disorder eating thing, like controlling how much you ate and then eventually it turned into like binging, mm-hmm. purging type stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we started, you know, we would try to, you know, I even said to my parents, I want to be a vegetarian. I want to be, you know, so I'd only eat vegetables and stuff. And they were like, no, you can't do that. You have to eat, you know. But it became to, I mean, it just was such a roller coaster, just being not eating and then, you know, purging whatever we did eat, taking diet pills, taking laxatives, trying to, you know, it's just, it was a roller coaster of things that we did. I mean, I probably didn't get over it till probably five years ago. And, and I still struggle with it, but you know, it's funny if we talk about not wanting to talk about it and Dave, like recently I started talking more about it. He's just like, Oh my gosh, you can't talk about it. And I was like, you know what? I am tired of people thinking everyone's perfect. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of yes because that's that's why we're all depressed Mm -hmm. because we think everyone else is perfect and i'm just like you know what i don't care if people think i'm like a crazy person then oh well you know it's like 
I think there's a lot of, we, I shared our story, mine and Dave's story. And, you know, I had so many people message me and just say, thank you so much for sharing your story. We're going through that right now. And I was like, see, I told you, you know? And so I do know that, you know, but I don't know. It's, it's a hard thing to get over because I mean, it took me 20 years, you know, to finally, you know, and it was sad because I was talking to my sister and she's not there yet to talk about it. And she said, she goes, why are you talking about this? And I said, because I'm tired of people, you know what I just said. And I said, when was the last time you didn't look in the mirror and say, I'm so ugly and fat? And she goes, what do you mean? I was like, how many times do you do that? And she's like, not nearly as much as I used to. And I was like, how many times do you do that? And she's like, only once a day. I was like, once a day? That sucks. I was like, do you know when the last time I looked in the mirror and said, I am so fat and ugly. I said, I don't even remember. And I said, I said, because, you know, I don't, I'm not the best shape I've been in. Like, I am not, by all means. I I don't, I haven't exercised forever. I eat like crap, you know. (laughs) But I told, you know, I said, well, at least I'm happy, you know, and I'm getting there to where I'm going to be exercising. But I said, the hard thing was with exercising and eating good, it brought back memories of things. And I don't know how you would explain. Like the obsession of it? Yes. And so then I would start getting obsessed with it. And so then that would trigger things. So it's hard for me. That's what I'm trying to get through now is how can I eat good and exercise without obsessing with it? And a lot of this comes back to like these socially constructed ideals that we have to deal with as, 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 you know, from a very, very young age. One of the things we know too is like there are four or five different categories that we take from that in in which we create how we believe, if that makes sense. Right. So like you go to a religious ideology and in that religion, there are certain set of constructs or rules or norms that you have to live by. And kind of the top five are, you know, media is a huge one, religion, um, society, governmental norms, And the biggest one really is family, right? We get into our families and our families are the ones that are telling us what is and is not good, what is and is not okay. And what ends up being the result of that is this shame culture that we live in. And the number one shame trigger for women, meaning the thing that creates shame the most in women is appearance. Number one. Body image. Body image. 100%. Men... It's weakness. Because, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. The yeah, thing that's, that's interesting research. is, is <clears throat> like, even myself growing up, and I mentioned this to you guys earlier, but, yeah, I remember it was such a big deal. And for me, you know, my, my mom passed away when I was young, and my poor dad had to try to figure out how to raise girls <laughs> by himself, <laughs> and I'm, I can't even imagine. But I remember, like, my brothers were never told oh, don't eat that or watch what you eat or make sure you look good. You know, and it was never said maybe in that way, but a roundabout way, I knew what he was saying. Mm -hmm. It's like I have my older brothers, little brothers, and they can eat donuts and junk and candy and cereal all day long. And I start eating it and it's like, what are you doing? Why are you eating so much? And in his mind, he's thinking, I'm just trying to keep you healthy. 
Mm-hmm. But the way it comes across to me is you think I'm fat. Mm-hmm. And that, it, I feel the same way. It has taken me so many years and I'm still working on it to get that mindset gone. I mean, my husband all the time, he's like, oh, I do not care what you weigh or any, I just want you healthy and happy. Whatever that means for you, I am, and it's the truth and I know he feels that way. Mm-hmm. But when you're, you're raised that way and it's in, it's embedded in your mind. Well, think about when, and, and this is just something that I've noticed, and maybe you got, I mean, you're women, you're going to notice this more, more than I do. But when women come up to my wife and say, how are you? They don't even really say, how are you? They say, you look so good. Oh my gosh, I love that outfit. I love those mm-hmm. shoes. Your makeup looks so good today. That's the conversation that occurs amongst women day in and day out. That's the way you guys connect with each other on a surface level. And if that's the way I'm connecting on a surface level superficially with all these other people that are my same gender, of course I'm going to care a lot about it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to go to take drastic measures to make sure that I fit into the normal looking category, whatever that might be. And in our society today, it's you got to be thin. You got to look a certain way. You got to be fit. You got to be fit, right? You got to be fit. You got to have... What a, a size three and a big ass and all like right like there's so Seriously. many things right it's exhausting and, oh, <laughs> it's exhausting and ev- all the women clients that I have like this is normal conversation we have it constantly this is super normal like every woman is dealing with this mm-hmm. and it, it's weird for me to speak out as a man because I don't really deal with the image thing however the strong thing it's a huge thing for me mm-hmm. huge I have to be strong if I ever appear weak there's something wrong with me as a man and who I am. And so I would guess that on the women's side of things, if you don't look a certain way, it makes you less of a woman. Is that, is that sim- oh, how it works? Oh, for sure. Well, and I think that's my husband. I think he is more of don't share our weaknesses because then it kind of, you know, makes people, I don't know, because I used to not want to talk about our weaknesses and now I'm like, no, I'm talking about our weaknesses. And I feel like he's still kind of trying to get on board with that. But because I feel like it makes you look weak, which I don't think it makes you look weak, but maybe some people do, but that's okay. And, um, but I definitely think, I think it's so funny that you say that because people, cause I usually wear my black, pants, black shirt, black apron, my hat, no makeup. And then when I get ready, they're like, you look so good. Where are you going? I'm like, I just got ready. <laughs> oh, that's a regular event. Cause I work with pizza. So my hair is pulled up and I'm in like sweats. And, and then if I go to the CrossFit gym and either coach or work out, no one ever sees me done up. <laughs> so the second I put makeup on, they're like, Oh, you look so great. What, <laughs> what event do you have going on? It's like, I just got dressed for the day. And that like, feels really good, right? Yeah. It does. It feels really You're good. Like, it's oh, like this ego I look stroke. good when I put makeup on my face. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't even begin to imagine what that's like. I mean, I, it's sort of, but like, that's got to be a lot of pressure to look a certain way and to be a certain figure, mm-hmm. right? Like, not just like a, a, a figure of like your figure, but you got to look like they want you to yeah, look. You got to somehow take this. I got to take this five, four body and I've got to somehow look five, eight. Mm-hmm. Not sure how that's going to work, but I'm going to try. I see that in my head and I'm like, how, how do you even do that? But, but that's totally what's yeah. going on. 
Is that, do you think that is a big part of what, um, brought about your eating disorder is obviously you've talked about the perfection thing and trying to change because, you know, you being Asian in a very white community Mm -hmm. put you, separated you a lot. But then also, is it that, yeah, I want to look like them and I'm, I mean, how tall are you, Alicia? Five feet? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you're I'm like, like five, four. Everyone's like, you're, <laughs> you're like with four inch heels on. <laughs> well, and uh, yes, it was. I mean, everyone around me was, you know, looked a certain way. I mean, just even like thinking of the pressure of religion, you know, and the pressure of the guilt there, the just everything, you know, I remember like when I would pray about and hoping to look a different way, I would say, I would want to look like my friend that, you know, another white girl and just, you know, that's how I always wanted to look. And I think it's so funny now that, I mean, I felt like when we grew up, you wanted to be stick skinny, no butt, yes. everything. And now there was it's no like, muscle. Girls did no. not have muscle. <laughs> it was like you run on that treadmill, so there's nothing left. <laughs> that was what it was. And it's just recently I've been like, okay, I guess I don't have to run 13 miles <laughs> to do a good workout. You can yeah. actually do it in 20 minutes, you know? But I'm like, oh, because that's kind of my mindset, you know? And, you know, everyone, like one of my um, bakers, and she's become my best friend, but she's a bodybuilder, and she's like, you need to get a butt. And I was like, no, I don't want to get a butt. <laughs> I was like, no, why would I want a butt? And she's like, no, you want a butt. And Dave's like, yeah, you want a butt. <laughs> but growing up, you didn't want yeah. that. So it's like, ah, you know, but. So is it more like watching TV or the the culture you lived in or your friends? Because like I, for me, I had these itty bitty little friends. Like my best friends when I was younger were just the skinniest, teeniest. And I was never like that. I've always mm-hmm. been like an athlete and I've always looked like that. So for me, that was part of it. But like I said, it was more, I don't know, maybe it's a combination of everything. I would say, I think I would personally think the reason we had our eating disorder was because of our home life, not because of certain people or anything, but just because of our insecurities of the, and the only reason I say that is because I remember being the most sad at home. Like I always just remember being in my room and just being so sad and just looking in the mirror and just being so sad and just everything revolved about being at home. Cause we didn't really actually hang out with a lot of friends and stuff. And so, um, and we didn't really watch that much TV, but I it was really just the words I was hearing and, you know, maybe I misunderstood, but I really thought, we were overweight and, um, we kind of, you know, now people say, well, cause we went to counseling when we got married. Cause he was like, wow, you're kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> we got married. Like, I need help. Someone help me. <laughs> well, you know, cause when we got married our first year, I was crazy and I would like sh- go in my room and I'm like, don't talk to me. And he's like, what are we? Wait, we're married, right? You know? And I was like, no, you know, and then he, 
said, we need to go to counseling. And so I was like, no, we don't go to counseling. You know, we don't need to go to counseling. And then we went to counseling and he was like, you probably need to get on some medication. And I was like, no, 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 <laughs> I'm not going to get on medication. And then I did get on medication. That was life-changing. But we were kind of talking about it earlier. I was still in my head said, that's wrong. I shouldn't be on medication. So I was like, I'm going to stop taking my medication. I think I'm fine. I'm fine. I was the most depressed I've ever been in my life. And it was very scary. Um, I experienced that a second time when I had my son because, you know, you're not supposed to be on medication while you're pregnant. And that was a scary time. That was probably the, the lowest I've ever been because I feel like because of the medication kind of like a withdrawal, the withdrawals. Yes. And so when I had my second, my doctor said, you need to be on medication. And it was total difference. And so, but I hate how medic, I think people are getting more okay with it, but I hate that medicine just because you're on an antidepressant means you're crazy or, you know, and I think it's getting better, but you know, but I've actually found that, um, my husband found it first, but meditation has been amazing. And I heard that you're, when you said that, I was like, what? I was like, I don't really know anyone that meditates. Oh, it's it's becoming so much more the norm, I think, in our society. Yeah. <clears throat> like everyone we talk to, it's people are realizing how healthy it is to start like, because met with meditation, it's like, I think, I don't know, everyone's different and the way everyone does it is different, right? But for me, a lot of it is like self-awareness and like self, healthy self-talk you know, it's not just always just being quiet and just like, mm, like that's mm-hmm. not how I do it. No. And I feel like everyone does it differently, but to be able to like really dig deep and just focus on yourself and how to worry about yourself. I mean, that's huge. No one does that, especially, you know, we're parents and we don't have time to worry about ourselves. So there has to be a moment in the day somewhere. And I, for me, it's every day where I have that healthy self-talk and time to like reflect on me without anything without my husband and kids, just me. And I think that's what meditation is. And people are finding that it's so healthy and so helpful. And I just think a lot of people don't know where to start or how to do it. And I think that's the biggest reason people don't do it. Do you do an app or anything? I used to. And sometimes I still do. Mm -hmm. Um, There's multiple apps. I actually have a couple on my phone. I'd have to look at them and see what they're. One of them is Insight Timer. Mm Mm-hmm. And I like that one because it's you can pick the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but some days it's even just a matter of um, I love self-help books. Mm-hmm. And so I'll set aside 30 minutes every morning to read and then just kind of sit back f- for a few minutes and just think about like, mm-hmm. where do I want to take this? What do I want to do this with this information that I'm reading? You know, and just kind of focus on me for a minute. In the Gina episode, uh, Gina Kratz episode, where we talked about uh, meditation for a little bit. I think I said this, but I'm going to say it again because I think it's uh, kind of hilarious. Uh, We Westerners recently in the last like 10 years are like, have you guys heard of meditation? It's the coolest thing ever. And then Eastern philosophy (laughs) and and religion and stuff, they're like, yeah, we've been doing this for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. And we're like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And, And there is so much proof that... The meditation isn't just like a cool thing to do. 
it is like a way of life that you can change how you live moment to moment if you meditate. Your mm-hmm. brain operates on a different wavelength if you meditate. Because the thing that we are so concerned with, especially in Western culture, is the past and the future. I want to know why I am the way I am and why I'm so screwed up, a.k.a. the past. All these beliefs that I have, all this stuff that I think about myself because of all this crap that I once did. And what I need to do to fix it, which is all these things that I got to do. And I got to make sure it happens. And so we're dancing back and forth from past to future, past to future, past to future, until... All of a sudden, we find meditation, and we get out of the past, and we get out of the future, and we're in the moment, in the mm-hmm. now, and our brain, which over time has grown accustomed to being in the past and the future, is thanking us, literally dumping a chemical called dopamine as we sit there, and it creates all this peaceful wonderfulness that we just can create at literally any moment at any time. Mm-hmm. There's no limitation to what quiet we can create in our life. None. And, and this is a concept that is so foreign to people that is so simple that once you discover it, it's like a miracle. Oh, it is. It, it's incredible. Yeah. And there's research that it's as effective as some medications. And when coupled with medications, it's mind-blowing, right? So that's so cool that you found I love medication. I'm going to take Cool. And I would say most, I would say like 99. Like, I think you're actually the first person in my life that I found out does meditation. Everyone thinks I'm crazy, you know, and I actually started meditation because of Dave, because he can't be on antidepressants or anything. So he was like, oh, I got to find something. And it was like, holy cow. But I still was like, this is weird, but I didn't want to do it. And then I was just tired of feeling depressed and even though I was on antidepressants and I was like, but now thinking about this last year and I'm like, when I was talking to my sister about, you know, when was the last time you didn't look in the mirror stuff? I was thinking, Oh my gosh. And like you said, reading those self-help help books, everyone thinks meditation is like the, you just hum and you know, but it's really, it's so much different. It's just like, I actually use this app called calm and it's amazing because, you know, if I'm dealing with someone that has anxiety or if I'm ha- having depression or if, you know, one of my friends is putting up a wall, she doesn't want to talk, but she's depressed. There's all these subjects in the app and it tells you, well, you know what? She probably, not talking about her, but she probably wants you just to listen and she doesn't want your advice. And I, cause I'm like, well, I need to help you. What can I do? What is wrong with you? Uh, you know, you're a fixer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then like, I listened to this episode and it's like, nope, you just need to listen. There's people that actually, you know, one of my favorite series is they compare people to Winnie the Pooh characters. And it was very, oh, that's kind of true. That's cool. It was very <laughs> interesting. Well, it was funny. Cause then I went online cause I wanted to see what all the characters were and everything online. Now you guys are going to have to go look describe Winnie the Pooh characters and it's like why is how can you tell Winnie the Pooh is on drugs and then they'll talk about like uh Tigger on speed it's so funny like this whole thing but <laughs> on this calm app it talks about why it's it talks about characters why Tigger is you know and I kind of compare myself to Tigger because I'm like kind of all over the place but why his personality you people you need Tiggers in your life you need 
you know, rabbits in your life. You need all. And it was like, oh, my gosh, it's so true because you're like oh, rabbits and ears. But it, are just- it makes you it makes you finally feel like you fit in somewhere. Right. Yes. Yes. Which I um, and I, I don't know if I've ever said this on you, but I um, growing up, I always felt like so I was always loud. And I was always outspoken and always like very opinionated and blunt. And I just, like I've said before, I wear my emotion on my sleeve. So if I'm mad at you, I'm, I'm you know, I'm mad at you. <laughs> and I always thought of that as a negative thing. Like, oh, I'm so loud because growing up, it was always, you know, there's, I think like a scripture that's like, blessed are the meek. And I thought, oh, I'm never going to be blessed. I'm never going to be meek. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm loud. And I just never felt like I fit because I'm like, that's, that's not me. I'm not quiet. And I would try to quiet myself. Mm-hmm. I would try to hold back. And over time, I, it was wrecking me mm-hmm. because I was trying so hard. And I think of this when I think of with your, um, the whole Asian thing. I was trying so hard to be something else that was ruining who I was. Mm-hmm. And the second I realized it's like same kind of thing. No, there, yeah, there needs to be some quiet people, but gosh, how boring is this world without loud people? Mm-hmm. Like there's gotta be balance. There's gotta be change. There's people who are maybe a little weaker and they need those ones that are stronger to help lift them up, you know? So it kind of all goes hand in hand. Mm-hmm. So my question for you is how did you, at what point in your life? So you talked about, you know, you start this eating disorder at 12 and you go through high school and you get married at what point do you decide, I don't want this anymore? I don't want that life. Did you have an eating disorder the whole time? Or did it, was off and on? Or did it stop when you got married? No, unfortunately. <laughs> um, no, and it was really, really bad in high school. And um, like, I mean, it was just like, I think about it, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so, like I was taking like 100 laxatives a day. Oh my gosh. Just to get everything out of my system. And like, you know, one time I took too many pills because, you know, just sad and did, you know, went to the hospital and stuff. And that was before we got married. But even then I didn't realize I needed help because I thought it's just normal, you know? And because I actually, I knew a lot of friends that were sad like that too. So it was kind of normal, you know? And, but we were never, Angie and I were never the type that showed it. No one ever knew we were sad. You know, the only times that people knew we were sad was actually when we were our senior year. And then we got pulled out of our house and I went to this hospital and, you know, but that was the first time people were like, oh my gosh. Did you go to the hospital for your eating disorder? Was that specifically why you were? Uh, I took some pills and so I had to go to, um, I had to go to the hospital to get that like done. pumped out, yeah, and okay. stuff. And then I had to go to, uh, I guess, a mental hospital, and that was the worst experience of my life because, I mean, because I think there's good counselors, obviously, and bad. They had me and fill out the survey, and it was like, "How do you feel about yourself? Do you, you know?" And it was like, "I hate myself." Da, da, da. And then all of a sudden, I'm in this level where I feel like I'm a crazy person. 
and they're treating me like a crazy person. And I'm like, whoa, I'm not a crazy person. I, I mean, I just told you what I felt, but I'm not like, you know, and that was actually a really bad experience. And so then we actually did uh, counseling with my parents and that was a bad experience. It was my parents' best friend and that was not good. <laughs> oh, so you had a biased Oh, very, counselor. very biased. What was that? So, uh, I mean, if you don't want to go into this, that's fine, but. It, it, it's interesting to hear about people's bad experiences in therapy mm-hmm. and just like what, mm-hmm. what was that like for you? Like what went down that was so hard? So in the hospital, it was almost like I was like in a mental hospital that like I was like, and I know, like, you know which one you were in. I, don't I was going to say when you're in a mental hospital and I've heard this from um, other close friends and family, you're with people who should be there. Yes. Who do have these massive mental issues. Yes. And you're like, I don't fit this. Like, yes, I have some problems, but I don't fit that. Right. And and the people, here's the other thing. And the people that you look at in that mental hospital who you're like, oh my gosh, that guy needs to be here. He thinks the same thing. (laughs) They all, we all. Oh, so scary, huh? (laughs) what, what, What I'm saying is, is like, like if you go to a mental hospital you you need to be in a mental hospital. Even, even you, Alicia, like like that's that's why they're there. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's there's a safety hole, and true. they and they are shaming, and we're trying to fix that as like a culture and all this stuff. But the idea is like if somebody's on the verge of dying, and pe- and their family members think they're gonna die, mm-hmm. we don't have another right. answer. Can we call it something else? What? Like everybody calls oh, yeah. it a mental hospital, and that like yeah. the. The phrase itself yeah. creeps me out. It's hard. Mm-hmm. I'm like, can it used we pick to be another a psych name? ward? Yeah, that's even worse. <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 We we yeah. It's called hospitalization, psych hospitalization. That's that's the. I know, but I hate it so much. It's awful. It should it be like not, a better word. Like, let's go to pre Disneyland <laughs> or yeah. something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. That's good. So you get so you're there for two or three days, and they put you on like a like a level. Where you're like, I hate myself, and they probably thought you were probably suicidal. Yes. What they were guess- I'm guessing. Yeah. That's usually the only way you get put in a mental. Yes. And hold. I mean, I was suicidal, but I was like, and I mean, you're probably right. <laughs> they probably were like, you belong here. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> and we, as a society, like societally, we look at people who are suicidal and we're like, there's something wrong with you. Like, you shouldn't want to die. When in reality, like, I wanted to die. Mm-hmm. Bethany, you told us about how you've wanted to die. Mm-hmm. Sounds like you've been there too. Like mm-hmm. this is not an abnormal thing for human beings to Mm-mm. feel, but we somehow have stigmatized this idea that if I'm sad, there's something wrong with me, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's what these hospitals often tend to reinforce. Because you get in there and they're like, "Oh, you want to kill yourself? Well, we have to do everything we can. We don't have the resources, so we're going to shove you in a room mm-hmm. and we're going to keep you by yourself. Mm-hmm. And then there's, we're going to put you in there with dudes who are schizophrenic and actually <laughs> seeing stuff, right? Yes, that's, 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 that's the hard part, right? Is there like guys that are in there? They're like hallucinating and like talking to the walls and like. Wait, were you in the hospital I was in? <laughs> <laughs> I worked. I worked in mental. <laughs> I think I remember you. Psyche <laughs> before, but I've had I've had to I've had to push people before and take them to the hospital. And it is not cool. Like it mm-hmm. sucks. And so I get that that was a horrible experience. So you're there for three days, one day. I think it like was that. about a week. But the about problem with my experience was I didn't have anyone. 
Yeah. So oh, you're alone we too. were in good weren't good terms with, you know, family and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I did have some support with my aunts and uncles and which was amazing and my sister and stuff, but and things are good now, but so that was even harder when you mm-hmm. don't have that. And then you get out and you're going to counseling with your parents and it's their buddy and you just feel Oh, he was the worst. Like it's funny because he actually like, I'll just say, he was an art counselor. He totally bullied us and made us feel like crap. And uh, But now it's funny because his kids actually contacted me and said, yeah, my dad's now gay and he's not a counselor anymore and he's crazy. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. And I actually posted something on Instagram the other day and his daughter goes, you should, I know a really good counselor you should talk to. Oh, and no. like, but like with a laughing face. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh. Oh, Cause she thinks he's crazy. And so, but, but there are like when, you know, and it was sad though, because he actually had a partner and she was, you could just tell she was aching for us, mm. but he was like her boss. And so she kind of had to do what, you, but I, like I remember her, and you could just tell she was like sad for us, but didn't really couldn't say anything, you know. And um, but then you know, and then I remember having a counselor in high school, and he was great. He was you know, and you can tell when people are sincere and they are there for you. And then you know, when we got married, we went to a counselor, and he was good too. And I'm not sure, you know, what it. I mean, I just think it's they're loving and they're listening and you, you can tell when people are sincere. And so I definitely think there's good ones and then there's bad ones, but that's with everything. So go ahead. I was just going to say, like, I'm just pulling things out of when you're talking, just thoughts I'm having. And when you're, so you go to this, the mental hospital, you come home, you've got this counseling with your parents. At this point, you don't live at home. Mm-mm. Right. Mm-mm. But you're young. Like you're, you're saying how you moved out when you're like 16, 17. Yeah. That's really so. young. Is there, why? Like there's an, there's obviously an, a strained relationship. Is it because of the eating disorder? I would say yes. Um, they might say something different, which I wouldn't, I don't even know what it is cause we've never talked about it, but I would say yes, you know, because it's funny because I mean, we all make mistakes, and maybe if we talk now, and they're not about talking, but they could tell me what I did wrong because I still don't know what I did wrong. I mean, we like did we had good grades. We never did anything with boys. We never drank. We never did drugs. I mean, the only thing that I did bad was have an eating disorder, you know. And so, um, but because of that because of the church, actually, they pulled us out and they said, this isn't a good environment for you. We actually, and then this was even more weird because then we stayed with my best friend, which was like her house is right down the street. So then we went to the same ward with my parents. (laughs) And then I live in Nephi and it's like a hundred people in my graduating class. (laughs) Like if you're in the, if you're in the city of Nephi, I mean, it's not really a way to separate yourself at all, right? And one of the things you just said that I thought was really interesting, just kind of like even how we view eating disorders, like you said, I never did anything bad but my eating disorder. Like it's like this sin, like it's wrong. Yeah. When in reality, you're just surviving. You're just yeah. doing the best you can to try and fit in, right? Mm-hmm. But the the idea that we have in our heads, especially as young people, is like, 
this is wrong. I'm a bad person for doing this thing. And mm. that lingers for a long time. Well, yeah. the more guilt, the more shame, it's the so more shame. you practice yeah. the eating disorder because mm-hmm. it's like your only mm-hmm. release. It's your only, it's almost like your norm. That's what it's you've this just done. Never ending spiraling downward cycle. Well, and I told Kevin, I said, when he contacted me about the show, I said, oh, this is so funny because I said, I've been trying to get the guts to talk about this. I mean, so 36 years, I'm 36 and I've never dared talk about it. I've been ashamed. Like, I'm like, I can't talk about it. I can't talk about it. I'm like, none of my friends know about it. No, no one knows about it because I'm so afraid and I'm not sure what I'm afraid of. But I don't I want it. Judgment. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not sure why I'm afraid they're they'll judge me though. Like I don't know. Well, if you believe it's a bad thing that you're bad for doing it. Yeah. And that I mean, the way I believe that I've never learned to question is most likely the way that I think other people believe as well. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's and why so, you make that story up because yeah. you're like, well, this is what I think. So uh, if, what I've always thought. So of course if, you're gonna. If I me. believe I'm bad. And I come out and say this thing about me, whatever it might be, right? Then everybody else is going to think I'm bad too. And they're going to know how bad I am. When Mm -hmm. in reality, like I look at you, Alicia, and I think you're a freaking champion. Like that's an eating disorder is not easy to overcome and to get Mm -hmm. through because it's, it's all about control and feeling less than and feeling like you don't belong anymore and all this shame and to know that you've, overcome that is freaking amazing but i'm sure it's something you are gonna something you're gonna have to work on the rest of your life Mm -hmm. it's not over tomorrow it's not it's gonna always be um what's the word maybe not a struggle but like something you have to focus on to make sure it doesn't come back in full force right Mm -hmm. the point is too like Everyone listening thinks like if I say the thing, whatever it is, reasoning disorder for me, it might be my stance on religion for you, it might be something else, whatever, right? I come out and talk about this thing openly, people are going to judge me when in reality, every time somebody opens up about this kind of stuff, what happens? Is there judgment on the other side? Sure. Mostly though, there's not. There's acceptance and love and understanding and growth. And so as you share your story and other people hear it, you can't feel it right now, but it's cool. It's going to happen. It's cool. Well, and you it's reach out happen. to people who might be going through this. For sure. And people are going to get it. They're going to they're gonna hear your story and they're going to be like, oh my gosh, I didn't know. It all makes, oh my gosh, I get it. I love her as much as I always have and more. Mm-hmm. Well, and it was funny too, because though I remember, I think talking to Dave, I think I didn't want to talk about it also because I remember watching like Dr. Phil and all these things about eating disorders and it actually was a trigger to help me with my eating disorder. To be able to continue to do it? Yeah. So I just like, I remember and I, I like, I don't even want to talk about it because it was such a trigger for me. Like they would say, like, you know, they were like, well, what were your eating habits? And they would say, and what would, what would help you like throw up better? This. So they would talk about it, and I was like, oh, my gosh. Instead of thinking, that's terrible. I'm like, ding, 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 ding. Oh, I'm going to do it that way now. like, that sounds way easier than what I was doing. Yeah, Yeah. and I was like, holy cow, that is terrible that I'm watching these shows, and they're talking about how these 
girls are killing themselves, but I'm feeding off of it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. They're teaching me how to do it, but that's not what they're, you know? And so I've kind of been kind of scared about how to talk about it too, because I don't want to promote it either. You know what I mean? Well, so the question is, how did you get through it? How did you get to where it was, I mean, that you weren't throwing up all the time, that you were becoming more comfortable with who you are? I would say it's been, I mean, I'd say it's only been about a year. That's like, I don't know why it's like so embarrassing to even think of it, like talk about it like now just to think about all these people that would know. But um, I would say it was Dave watching him go through his trials and doing it without, you know, with doing it with meditation and stuff. And then I was just like tired of being sad. And um, but I feel like when we left our religion, that was huge for us. Like people just, you know, I remember someone saying that it was I said, I know what I'm doing is right. I feel it. And someone told me it was Satan, you know, and I'm just, yeah. I'm like, well, at least I'm happy, you know? So, I mean, it's been about six years since we left our church. And I think it was that it was the pressure of not being, you know, it was a combination, not saying that that's not a good thing either, but for us, it wasn't a good thing, you know? And, um, I think, meditation has been huge. Like, I feel like people think I'm like some spokesman and I get money from it because I'm like, like, I'm like, I swear I'm not getting any money from this, you know? Cause it saved you. Yes. And it's podcasts and things like this. I'm just like, when you guys like started this, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing because no one wants to talk about it. And it's amazing that you guys are doing this because it's going to help so many people. I mean, just listening to you guys' episodes, it was like, Oh, I never looked at it like that, you know, and that's part of the meditation part I was talking about that it makes you look in it a different way. And I think that's a good thing. And so, but, you know, I would just say, I don't even really know what helped me. I wish I could say, but I would say meditation, leaving the church and just saying, I'm enough and not caring what other people, you know, and I still do, unfortunately, you know. Well, you're always going to care a little bit. Yeah. But at least, was it hard um, when Dave, when you and Dave got married, did he know that you had this eating disorder? He did. He did. Like, did you, did it help maybe opening up to him more or being more honest about it? Or was it something you had, you hid for a long time from him? Or we're trying to hide. I mean, it's tough to hide anything from your spouse, right? Like, Uh, you think you you are, (laughs) but. I was definitely hiding it, but he would know. But, I mean, caused a lot of fights, you know. Um, Like, if I, he tried to prevent me from doing anything, I would just get mad and leave. And, you know, and so he was kind of helpless and. I mean, like, I think about all these times, and I'm like, I'm so crazy, you know, just thinking of all these things that I've done to him. He, I remember him making me a steak dinner, and um, he made me a red velvet cake for my birthday, and obviously I didn't want to eat it because 
I wasn't eating, so I caused this fight. I threw the, his steak dinner away, threw the red velvet cake away, and like, I'm like, now I think about it, I'm like, oh my gosh, what was wrong with me? You're like, that's so mean. I know. I would, I would die if he'd made me a steak dinner. I mean, he does now. But, you know, like, I'm just like, I can't even, like, the eating disorder took over my life. I remember just thinking constantly, like, I can't eat this. It's going to make me fat. You know, it was just food controlled my life. And I love that now I can just eat and be like, I'm just going to eat and not think about, you know, and I do struggle still, but it's, it's gotten a lot better. And, you know, I, I, I hope I can, you know, exercise because I've taken a break from exercising and eating really good because those are triggers and so I'm not sure how to get overcome those. And so I guess that's my next journey, you know? So. What, and a lot of times with eating disorders, it, and this might be true for you, it might not, it's, it's about control. I have so many elements of my life that I feel I can't control and are out of control that I can really, I've been refined to one thing, <clears throat> what I put in my mouth, what I choose to eat, and how that helps me to feel powerful. And I'm guessing, and maybe you've made this discovery, maybe not, maybe this is true, maybe not, that in the last year of your life, you found more effective, better ways to feel powerful and to find control in your life. Oh, definitely. Yeah, no, it really... What, what are those things? What are you doing now that you feel powerful about that help you to feel like you have control? I would say speaking. Like, you know, it's funny that you say that because... This last year, I focused, like, even though Instagram has been one of the worst things that, you know, I feel like that's why the this generation is so, you know, down and suicide rates are up and everything. But because we're comparing ourselves to Instagram, you know, I'm like, if I see one more mom post what the leprechaun got their kids, <laughs> I'm going to throw... <laughs> Light the on fire. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, just comparing yourself. So I think it was like I was like, I want to show I'm not a perfect mom. I'm mm-hmm. I try to be a good mom. You know, I just recently, probably four months ago, kind of had a meltdown because and this is something that I haven't really talked about either because it was such a hard thing for me, but. You know, my daughter and my son, we, because I felt like I'm not the smartest and that's okay. I'm, I'm okay with that, but, um, I'm not the smartest. And so, um, my, we've been trying to get our kids to be in really good schools and the school that they were in had so much homework and it was just causing so much fights. And I feel like my son has ADHD like me and it's just really hard for him to learn. And so we heard about this other school that didn't do homework, and I was just like, what? Like, okay, so we put them in that for a year, and we're like, I don't think they're learning anything. So we then this year put them in a different school, and then we find out that my 8-year-old is in second grade, has like a reading level of a kindergartner. And Dexton has, um, he's in fifth grade and has like third grade level. And then my daughter's in a singing um She's in a singing, like I put her in like private lessons and the teacher is so nice, but she called me and she, you could just tell she was just, 
it was really hard for her to call me. And she was just like, and I grew up with her actually too, but she was just like, Alicia, I just feel like you're wasting your money. I'm teaching Allie to read the, the songs when I should be teaching her how to, you know, sing the songs. And she was like, I don't want you to feel like you're a bad mom. It's not that, it's not that. And I was like, how can I not feel like I'm a bad mom? My daughter is in kindergarten level and she's in second grade and my son, and you know, and so I remember like, I actually talked to my friend and I just said, I'm like, how can I not feel like I'm a bad mom? And she's like, you're not a bad mom. I was like, how can I not feel like I'm not a bad mom? Who does that, you know? And I still kind of like, he, Dave was like, you know you're not a bad mom. I'm like, but how do you, how do you say you're not a bad mom when, you know, because I know that the school teachers can only do so much. And then it goes back to home. And so it's like, well, obviously I'm not doing something right, you know. And I do look at myself, and I think that was, a, that was one of the things that helped. I finally looked at myself and said, you know what, I'm addicted to work. I love working. I'm, I love working. But because I'm working, I'm ignoring my kids, and I'm not helping them like I should be. And, you know, I think it was the podcast, the meditation um, you know, I remember listening to this podcast and she talks about being an entrepreneur and a mom. And she was just like, I hate homework. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that's so nice to hear. And she was like, I hate homework. So she's like, oh, you know what I'm I, with you on that one. Oh my gosh. So she was like, you know what I do? I hire someone to help them do their homework while I work. And I was like, she goes, because I would have to hire someone to work. Yeah. You know? And so I was like, and so just from listening to other people, it goes back to, you know, this was life-changing. It really was. Like, I am not a podcast person. When he started listening to podcasts, I was like, I'm not listening to podcasts. That is so boring. <laughs> that was Kevin and I. He started way before me, and then I got hooked, and now I'm like, my kids get bugged. They don't listen to the radio. They're always like, what podcast is this? <laughs> yeah. But it's been- But it's like you said, so- when you're talking about, I think we all do that. We all do that. We are like, well, my kid's not doing this and my kid's not doing this. And my kid didn't make this team and my kid didn't do that. And you're like, what am I doing wrong? Mm -hmm. Like I'm trying. I think the key, the biggest key is like, we all love our kids. So it's like, we're going to make mistakes. We're not going to do everything perfect. And, but they, they know we love them and we are doing the best we can, even if it means we're working. I read in a book, I think it's that, I'm sure everyone is that Rachel Hollis book, but she talks about, she's like, how come men go to work every day and they don't feel guilty that they're working? <laughs> you got, it's that mom guilt that just sucks. And then we turn it. It's like we've, everything we talked about today. So we've got this mom guilt where it's like, okay, well I'm a working mom and we're, we got to pay the bills. We got to help. And I'm like you, I love working. I do. I enjoy it. I enjoy the way it makes me feel. I enjoy working hard. I just, I enjoy it. It doesn't mean I don't enjoy being a mom. 
it's just finding that balance is tough. Mm-hmm. And so, and yeah, it is kind of crappy. I'm like, Kevin can be a workaholic and he doesn't have any guilt. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's not like, oh, I should be on with my kids instead of here making money to pay the bills. And so it's finding that balance is going to be hard and it's going to be a constant change. And I love that idea where you're like, you know, I don't like doing homework. I'm with you on that one. So why not have some pay someone to do it? Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. But figuring those things out, thats I think that's what we're here for, is so we can teach each other, like, hey, this is what I do. This is what Alicia does. They may not be the same thing, but it's working. <laughs> so now we're going to help listeners to feel like this works for them. You know, this is going to help them. And that's why I love having so many different people on the podcast, because... Yeah. Everybody has a different thought, a different perspective, a different way of dealing with things. And they all are great. No one's wrong. Well, and I think it goes back down to you just said, you know, your kids know you love them, you know, because I know that, I mean, I'll admit, I didn't feel that. And I feel like that is, like, you look at all these strong people and, you know, and I know it's not the same for everyone, but it's your parents that are the biggest influences in your life, you know? And I remember having my breakdown and I was talking to my friend, I came in and I was crying and I couldn't stop crying. And my daughter, Allie goes, mom, what's wrong? What's wrong? Why are you crying? And I was like, it's okay. It's okay. And she goes, why are you crying? And then I told her, I just said, I feel like I haven't been doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And she was like, you know, kind of talking to her about it. And she was like, you're the best mom. She's like, I love you so much. You're my best friend. You're the best mom. It's not your fault. It's my fault. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, and I was like, I, and I do know that. Like, I might not know that I'm like a, the best mom, but I do know my kids know I love them. Like, mm-hmm. and that is a good feeling, you know, so. That's rad. I think it's the most important thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and the thing is, your, your kids are going to see, and I always think this, I always think my kids are going to see what I've done. They may not always appreciate it right now, but they're going to see when they get older, like, Oh, like I look back at my mom and I think, I mean, I was 12 when she passed away and I still remember the things she did. You know, my mom was, she had 10 kids and she was a worker. She was constantly, she had a part-time job. She was like PTA president. She, it, she babysat all the neighbor kids. (laughs) She was insanely busy. And I remember at the time thinking, you know, not much of it, I guess, not appreciating it, not thinking. And now I'm like, how in the hell did she do all of that? Mm-hmm. Cause I can't do all that. So I, I look at that now and like with you, you have so many cool things going on. Like, what is this? Okay. So we've already talked about the cupcake wars, which is the coolest thing ever, <laughs> but you have like a show coming out, right. Mm-hmm. That you're going to be on. What is that? Tell me just a minute about that. Um, so it's a show on the cooking channel. I'm a gingerbread expert, but, uh, <laughs> uh I want to learn. <laughs> so they, you know, they do, it's a show about, they kind of compare it to cake boss. My employees are like cake boss. You guys compare it to cake boss, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like a gingerbread, you know, we meet with clients, we build these big gingerbread, you know, creations for them, and it kind of shows the drama there and everything. But yeah, so, and talk about another time in my life that I was really down was doing that show because being in like the 
I don't know, the spotlight or whatever. They're brutal. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. We all watch it with my kids, and I'm like, Like they'll eat it and be like, mm, this isn't very good. I'm like, I hate you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Are terrible. But that's the thing. So your kids are going to see these things later on and be like, how did she do that? How did, and they'll, you are not your eating disorder. You know what I mean? That's, mm-hmm. that's not who you are. That may be this part of your life that you've had to deal with, but it's not you. Mm-hmm. And they're going to see that. And the challenges they're they're going to have trials and challenges in life. That's what all of our kids are going to, whether we want them to or not. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And if they see your strength through it and how you overcame it, it's a huge teaching tool for your kids. You know, as a mom, mm-hmm. for them to realize that you've had issues. And guess what? I've had to figure them out. And now you you know what I mean. It's just an awesome example of how to deal with life. And I would have never known you. I mean, I've known you for. Multiple years, I I would have never known you had depression. Yeah, and well, I or be. any of these things because you're like one of the happiest people I've ever been around. <laughs> I know Dave's like a chill. She gets home <laughs> <laughs> and then she holds it all in and she explodes on me. And that is really what. But that's I do. like you said though. It's like I you know I've been around you multiple times and I wouldn't I didn't know any of this. So I think. You don't know. You don't know what's going on in people's homes and people's lives. It's hard. We're, yeah, it comes back to judgment. We're so judgmental of each other, and we don't give each other the benefit of the doubt, especially ourselves. I don't give myself the benefit of the doubt. I think that everybody around me can read my mind or something and know how, <laughs> how dumb I am. Or they how can see your I deep, feel. dark secrets. Yeah, or like, oh my gosh, they're going to see right through me, when in reality, everybody's thinking the same thing. Mm-hmm. And we're just mostly concerned with what other people think of us rather we're than so what we selfish. think of other people. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. And so if we could just like embrace this I- the idea that we are powerful, as powerful as we want to be, and find the elements of life that, in which we feel great and successful and highlight those, that's what our kids see in us. You know, your kids it's look so at you. True. They don't see they don't see the struggles. They don't see all the pain. They they just see the wonderful things you do for them and the way you make them feel when you give them a hug. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, that's the teacher right there. Kids got to figure it out. We kind of forget that, but that's what it's about. And plus, I mean, a lot of people don't know this, but with Alicia, like, you are so giving. Like, she was amazing when everything happened with Bridie. Holy crap. Like, she shows up and brings, like, how many hundreds of cupcakes to the funeral and made this cake and just did all these. They did a fundraiser for us, you and Angie. And it was, like, so amazing. Like, seeing that generosity, I don't I feel like that is, like, the best example you could ever show for your kids. And they saw that. And they were there. They saw it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I. Like Matt said, you don't give yourself enough credit. So that's why we're going to do it for you. Because someone needs to tell you how amazing you are. I know Dave does. Yeah. Uh, no, just kidding. He does. Well, no, I, my friend that was kind of, she was sad. And she kind of says some, you know, mean things to herself. And I read this quote and it said, you know, I can't remember exactly what it said. But it was like, and you should talk to yourself like you're talking to your best friend. Or, you know, and I was like. Oh my gosh, this is so you, you know, I, like when I struggle, you are like, no, that's not true. That's not true. But when it's you, you're like, I'm the worst. I sucked up, you know? And it's like, why do we do that to ourselves? You know, but I feel like 
things like this is going to help people. So yeah. hopefully. It definitely is. For sure. Well, it's that time, my friends. <laughs> um, as we wrap up here, it's been really cool. Super enlightening. I learned a ton. My biggest takeaway from today is definitely that we are far too judgmental of ourselves and our stories that rattle around in our heads, they, they make or break us and we get to decide what that story is. I think that's that came up kind of in the one we recorded for last week and again this week. I think that's maybe I'm maybe I need to figure out maybe that's a me thing. What stories am I telling myself? I'll do some self inventory. <laughs> maybe you guys can that's too. Not totally me. Yeah, I love that. Super good. How My thing is vulnerability. It's like you said, you've had this for, you know, you're 36 years old. You've never talked about it. You've never opened up about it, and that's because we've always in the past looked at vulnerability as weakness and. Mm-hmm. Because you're being vulnerable, for one, talking about it will help you. It's going to help you move past. It's going to help you do better and be stronger. But it's also going to help everybody else. Like your story affects everybody. Like you have a teenager that's going through this. You have, I mean, twins. You know, that's, people deal with that all the time. And the struggles Mm -hmm. that come with that, like you've said. And trying to fit in, not just because of this eating disorder, but because of your culture and where you come from and being adopted. Like there are a lot of people that need to hear this stuff and need to feel like there's someone out there that can relate to them and can understand them. So you being vulnerable is going to help so many people. And I totally appreciate that. Well, I appreciate you guys having me here. It's ironic that Kevin called me at this time because I was like, I was thinking about it. I actually was talking to David, but I was like, okay, I got to talk about it. And he's like, why do you need to talk about it? <laughs> but, and that's the thing. You know, the reason Kevin and I have even said lately, we're like, Alicia is being so much more vulnerable on her social media. Like we all knew it. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, maybe this is something she would be interested in. And so mm-hmm. when he called you, you're like, yes. I'm like, yay. This is awesome. <laughs> yes. Yes. So awesome. Thank you so, so much. Do you Thank have you. A, like a final send home message that you want to wrap up with or anything that you really want to like highlight or give a shout out or, or promote here with us before we wrap up? Well, I would say, you know, anyone that is um, struggling with self-love, I would really highly, I actually told my friend that I would pay her $100 if she would meditate for 30 days continuously for 30 days. She had to do it once a day for 30 days. And just to really do it with, you know, and really listen to it and really try. And if you're struggling with that, do something about it rather than just feel sorry for yourself. You know, because I feel like if you don't do something, then nothing will help. And I feel like you need to talk about it. And, um, the more people talk about their imperfections, the better life will be because we'll realize we're all, you know, not perfect people. So we're all really screwed up. Very awesome. Yes. That's that's (laughs) life fun, right? Yes. That's right. Wonderful. Well, thank you again for coming. It was such a pleasure to have you on here. Thank you. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. There you have it, episode 14 with Alicia Nuttall. 
If you guys want to follow her, she is on Facebook as Alicia Nuttall. Also, you can search the internet or Instagram for Alicia and get a hold of her. Cravings Alicia's Cupcakes. That's what you want to search and you'll find her. Thank you a ton, Alicia, for coming on the show. We really appreciated having you on. And Dave, too, for being here, being our silent witness. Give us really good feedback. Super good people. Really glad to meet them and know them. Recap. Or sorry, uh, just we're going to revisit the offer that we have. Don't forget to go on iTunes, leave us a review to be entered in our $25 Fandango gift card drawing. Screenshot your review, send it to findingstrengthpodcast.gmail.com. We'll get you entered in. We got two winners coming up. It's going to be fantastic. Super stoked, guys. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for all your support. We freaking love every one of you as well. We are super stoked to offer the Brighten a Day Foundation Christmas. We're going to be plugging it hard next week. We need donations through brightenaday.org. Go on there, leave 5, 10, 15, 25, 100,000, whatever. We got some really cool stuff coming up, so stay tuned for that. As well, if you guys need therapy or a counselor or somebody to speak at next event of yours, Hit me up on Facebook, Matt Quackenbush, MSW. I do speaking engagements. I do individual therapy. I do group therapy. I do family therapy. You name it. I got your back. Reach out to me, Matt Quackenbush, MSW, or through the Finding Strength um, Facebook. You can also find me, Matt underscore Quackenbush, through Instagram or the Finding Strength Podcast Instagram. Be sure to reach out if you need help. Or need help finding somebody in your area, I also help with referrals. Got all sorts of good resources for you guys, no matter where you're at. Thank you again. Freaking love everybody. We'll see you next week on Finding Strength.